you know, more strength, better runner. More strength, better runner. Not more bulk, more strength. Dizwins Radio, episode 782. Starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey guys, uh, real quick before we dive into today's episode, you know, when I, when I talk about Patreon, which I'm not going to talk about today, other than just this real quick example, when I talk about Patreon, I, I kind of tongue in cheek say that, you know, to help keep the show going and growing, you can, uh, you know, buy me a cup of coffee via, via that platform. Um, there's another way that you can keep the show going and growing by buying yourself a cup of coffee. And, uh, that's, that's because somehow the stars have aligned and, um, I have my own coffee. Like, I don't understand how this all works. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's labeled and yada, yada, yada. Uh, like I said, I don't completely understand it, but you can get Diz Run's coffee and it's pretty good coffee. Like I, I, I can't, I can't hate on it. Um, I mean, I'm not going to obviously, but it really is a good cup of coffee. So, um, if you want to get yourself a bag or a couple of bags, um, it's, it's, you know, manufactured and, and put together and taken care of by the folks at Siskin Roasters who are, are friends of the show and, and really good people, uh, small business people, you know, supporting, uh, they're supporting us. We're supporting them. It's, it's a great working relationship. Um, and, and obviously, or if not, obviously I'm going to tell you, we get a little kickback off of the, or I get a little kickback for, for the show and for, for the business. Um, for every bag of coffee sold. So, you know, if, if, if you want to support your coffee habit and support what we've got going on here at, at disruns.com HQ, all at the same time, point your browser over to disruns.com slash coffee. Make it real easy. It'll redirect. It's not going to go to my website at all. It's going to redirect you to the Siskin uh, Roasters page where it's got my coffee right there. Order yourself a bag, two bags, three bags. Give them as gifts this holiday season. Whatever, whatever the case might be, get yourself some coffee while supporting the show at the same time. Dizruns.com slash coffee. And now, without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive in to today's episode of the show. Hey, guys. Um, as much as social media can get a bad rap, and uh, sometimes it deserves the bad rap, uh, it also allows us to connect. In a lot of cases, many of you I've connected with over the years. Um, and also, that's how, how I've been able to connect with a lot of people that I've had the privilege to talk to on the podcast over the over the years as well. And uh, that's exactly how today's guest and I got first connected. He uh, gave me a follow on Twitter, I don't know, a couple of months ago. Um, I followed back and kind of checked out his profile at the same time and thought I saw enough in uh, in the profile that I thought, hey, maybe we could we could have a good, uh, a good little chat. And it uh, turns out there's probably enough... Uh, topics to cover a month worth of podcast episodes as opposed to just one. So um, who knows? Not making any promises, but maybe there's there's going to be a, there might be a round two. I don't know. There's a potential for a round two because I know we're not going to cover everything today, but uh, we'll just dive in and, and get started uh, by by welcoming a, a, an author, a runner, coach, speaker, kind of all the things that I aspire to do with my life as well, uh, Mr. Terry Hamlin to the show. So thanks for joining us today, Terry. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Denny. And uh, guys, if you want to connect with, with Terry on the social medias, Instagram and Twitter, two great places to do so. Um, on Instagram, it's, the handles are similar in both places, but they are a slight different. So pay attention here. And of course, we'll have things linked up for you as well. Uh, Instagram, the handle is Terry Coach Hamlin, T E R R Y. 
Coach, C-O-A-C-H. Hamlin is his last name, H-A-M-L-I-N. And on the Twitters, it's at Terry Coach Ham L one. Because you can run out of run out of characters on Twitter. You gotta you gotta take that into consideration. But Terry Coach Ham L one on Twitter. Uh, as as I said, we'll have everything linked up in the show notes. Dizruns.com slash seven eight two is a link to get back there. And uh, at some point we're gonna get to talking about the new book, but I do want to make sure to plug that right at the outset as well. Building a better runner, science based training for peak performance is just recently released as we're uh, recording this. It's been out for uh, I don't know, six weeks or so by the time you're listening to it, but uh, definitely check that book out. Um, and again, we'll have that linked up in the show notes and we'll talk a lot more about that as we get there. But, uh, we're going to start off as, as we always do, Terry, with, uh, what, it, what is a very simple question to, to ask, maybe not always the most simple question to answer, uh, but it's a great way to start the conversation. That's just to simply ask, what is your favorite distance to race and why? I actually enjoy 5,000 meters, um, uh, it, because it requires, a combination of not only aerobic um, capacity, but also leg speed. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it's a short distance. Um, it's one that you you cannot uh, take time to not pay attention to what you're doing. You have to be on topic and on the race at all times. And I enjoy that. I, I really, if I'm going to race, I'm going to race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that is that is the five k, and and for I think for maybe all of the reasons that you enjoyed are are kind of all of the reasons that it's it's maybe not my my, my most favorite distance. It's just you know pedal to the metal from 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 the, the word go because like you, I mean, if I'm going to do a five k, I'm gonna I'm gonna go after it, um, which is probably why I haven't done really a five k in, in a few years because it's just I mean it's just so red line the whole way. It's it's a tough one, but like you said, yeah, you got to be focused from from the get go. Cause if you, if you fade at all, if you, you lose, lose track at all, either your pace drops way, way too slow, um, for what your goal is, or you go going too fast and then you're really in trouble towards the last, uh, thousand meters or so. Yes. You're, you're going to go, uh, 90% of your VO two max, uh, at least through most of the race and the last three to 400 meters, you may go 100% VO two max. Mm-hmm. You may go completely anaerobic, uh, with the last 90 seconds as well, heading towards the finish line. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, that's the pain cave right there. That's, that's where it hurts is, is uh, when you start getting to that, that level of intensity. Um, I know I, I, like I said, when I, when I first reached out to you, I, I figured we'd have enough things to talk about, or we could, you know, figured I could, I could come up with a few things to talk about, had no idea, uh, kind of how far back your running history, your running story goes, um, until we started having a couple of emails back and forth. And I said, holy cow, there's, there's no shortage of things to talk about, but you've been running for a long time as far as, uh, you know, some of the, the, the contemporaries, the peers that you had back in the day, the races that that you were, were running. Um, I mean, gosh, 40 plus years ago, uh, is, is when you were, were getting after it at, at a high level. Um, has, I mean, obviously running has been a big part of your life for a big chunk of it. Is, has running always kind of been your thing or, or how did you kind of get started, uh, in, in the running world, you know, many, many running booms ago? Um, I actually started running when I was 13 years old. Um, and I started to stay in shape for surfing. I was actually a surfer and, um, I got to, uh, three a in surfing, which is one level below pro. 
and I ran so that I could be in better aerobic shape for surfing big waves. Um, however, when I went away to college, I found that um, you know there were no waves because I was 120 miles inland. So um, I continued to run, and I upped my mileage and started running um, on my own, just uh, running well. And um, then I was offered a, a scholarship um, uh, by the cross-country coach when he saw me running down in front of the student union building um, at about five-minute mile pace um, on my own. And he said, who the heck is this guy, and why isn't he on my team? <laughs> Oh man, and then and then the rest is history. So you, you're obviously not hadn't been running competitively. You get into to college and and you get this scholarship offer. Um, what what was it like those those first I don't know practices, first few meets and races? Where I mean, I'm assuming you had pretty much no idea what to expect from a you know competitive side of running. But but what was it what was it like for you in those early days? Well, you know, I had had um, a little bit of track experience in high school, okay. but it was a bad experience. I had a coach that was fairly abusive, and um, and that was kind of what had turned me off to to uh, team running because I said, well, you know, I don't I don't know if I want to do that. Maybe I just want to go straight into road racing. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when I spoke to the uh, cross country coach at USC, he said, I'm not that kind of coach. He said, um, you know, I'm going to you, you know enough about running. I'm just going to lead you and help you and I will never scream and yell at you and, and be abusive. And um, and you're going to catch on extremely quickly. And I did. You know, I, I understood um, uh, pace and I understood where to be and 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 uh, whose shoulder to run off of. Um, and, and it came pretty quickly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um Running that that type of, of pace, that you know five minute pace, which is which is uh, a pace that I don't I, I I I don't know I don't know what that what it's like to, to run at that pace. I've I've uh, and maybe for just a short bit, but certainly not for for miles you know one mile after another. Um, but but what I feel like I've I've learned over the years talking to, to folks that have run at high levels or watching you know big time meets and races and whatnot on on TV, um, there's a bit of a difference between racing running a race against other people you know other the, the other competitors that you're with versus running a race by your like maybe not by yourself but against the clock you know trying to to pace for a win versus pace for prs or time goals or things like that was was there a, a bit of a learning curve there at all as far as kind of figuring out the the strategy uh in some of these these races that you were doing or or did that come pretty naturally as well well, um, there's a, a bit of a learning curve. Um, however, um, I think that we find that that even in road racing, road racing and cross country and, and track, you're always going to have the guy or guys or girls that take off uh, for the first two to 300 meters uh, like they're shot out of a cannon. And um, remember, don't go after those people. <laughs> right. Because they will come back to you, um, get into the the uh, the what I call the second group, and and run in the second group because these are the people with good sense, mm-hmm. and they will run a proper pace, and they will uh, eventually catch uh, the this dude up front, and so um, 
I learned that very quickly. And if you if you watch road racing on TV now, the big marathons, the um, you know the cross country races, the track races, you'll see that happen frequently. And they now actually even hire rabbits mm. uh, to mm-hmm. go rabbit meaning uh, people who who run a a certain pace to lead the other runners into a higher level of uh, competition. Um, but uh, we didn't have rabbits back then. We just chased uh, chased each other around. Right, right. How how far up the the ladder did you did you go with your running career? I mean, was it something that was paying the bills? Did you have to get other jobs? Was there Olympic aspirations? Like like you know, where where, where did your career kind of get to as far as that goes? You know, back then. Um, Adidas and Nike and, and companies like that, um, their sponsorship um, was um, very, very limited by the AAU. That, mm. that was the initial governing body. And so we were not allowed to accept uh, race money and um, because pro racing on the road race circuit did not really exist. Mm. So we had to, in order to retain amateur status, we had to, to be very careful about, about what we could and could not take. Um, so we all, uh, me, Bill Rogers, Frank Shorter, all of us had full-time jobs as well as running over 100 miles a week. Wow. So, wow. so that's uh, obviously things have changed quite a bit uh, in, the, in the years since then, and, and that's not exactly the case these days, but um, it's it's – you know, it's amazing to think, I mean, you know, you're doing then maybe not quite well at a different level, but, but you're doing what a lot of, you know, what myself, a lot of people listening are doing where it's like, you know, we still have our, our full-time jobs and we still have, you know, family, we still have all these other things and we're trying to, to train on top of it as well. And, and, you know, whether it's getting a hundred miles a week or 50 miles a week or 30 miles, whatever it is, um, you know, it's, it's not just all running all the time. Um, do, do you ever think, daydream wonder uh a little bit about what it would be like if you know back then you had a situation like like runners do now where you can you know you can get the sponsorship money you can you can make running really your full-time gig for that you know that decade of peak peak years um do you ever kind of wonder what could have been if if the situation is was then what it is now Uh, oh absolutely absolutely because um uh, you know, the, the recovery periods had to be shorter because we did work full time. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have a, a chance to go out and run seven or eight miles in the morning and then go home and relax and get ready for the second workout of 10 to 15 miles that day. Um, you know, if we were going to run a, you know, consecutive uh, 15, 20 mile days, that takes a lot out of you. And so recovery with being on your feet at work, I happened to be a chemist and I was on my feet a great deal um, or on a stool up n- next to, uh, um, you know, a bunch of uh, chemistry equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, you get very, very tired. And so um, fortunately, we had the um, advantage of youth <laughs> and that helped a great deal. Um, but, um, as far as money is concerned, um, you know, the most that we would get would be maybe a plane ticket, a hotel room and two or 300 bucks if we won the race. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we would get our clothing 
in our shoes paid for. Uh, we didn't get the uh, quarter of a million dollar bonuses and things like that that, that are around now. However, um, uh, Steve Prefontaine was really one of the first people to to uh, fight for um, the ability of runners to be uh, paid mm -hmm. for what they do. And Frank Shorter took up that cause as well and did a great deal to um, to help runners get more support. Yeah, it's it's uh, I mean, it's 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 an understatement clearly to say it's a completely different world now than it, than it was then from, from every side of things, from the, the science, the understanding, the, the, the way to the, the, the ideal way. Although maybe it's not, it's maybe some things have kind of come back to that. I don't know. We can get into that as we go a little bit. Um, but obviously the financial side of things, the, the number of races, just there's so many, so many things that are, are different then versus, versus now. Um, and, and we could, we could, like I said, we could spend, an episode or two probably just telling stories from, from back in the day and, and, uh, and, and going down a bunch of those, those rabbit holes. And, and maybe we'll, like I said, maybe we'll circle up and do that again at some point. But as, as the timeline moves on, um, I, again, I know, I know that you said this in, in one of the emails, but you, you're kind of your last competitive race was kind of going out on top. It, it was that kind of a plan of, you, you kind of knew that it was, it was getting to be time to, to hang them up at least as far as running fully competitively or, was it kind of one of those where after you run that won that 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 race, it was just like you know what this is this is probably as good as as it gets. Was did you I, you had to kind of know that the time was uh, running out, but you know making that decision was that fairly well planned out for you in advance, or or how did that kind of decision to to hang them up come about? Yeah, you know I I, I understood um, the physiology of the sport, and it said that you know by the time I reach forty, I'm probably not going to set. PRs at the level that I had set PRs because I had been running so long. Mm -hmm. And so um, I made a, um, an internal agreement with myself that I wanted to um, win one last big 5,000 before um, I sort of, quote, retired. That wasn't to say that I was going to stop running and, right. and stop running in races, but I I wasn't going to put in the 100-mile weeks after that. I was going to focus more on on job, um, financial security, all those types of things that people have to chase nowadays. Was, was it a difficult uh, transition? Uh, like you said, I mean, you're not giving up running completely, which is maybe one of the, the most beautiful parts of our sport is that even if you run at the highest level of, of running, you know, you can stop being that level of world world championships, Olympics, whatever, whatever your highest level is, and still continue to run for much of the rest of your life if you choose to, as opposed to, you know, you play in the NFL, you play in professional basketball, whatever, like you kind of, you know, once you hang them up, it's, it's kind of uh, a lot harder to keep going. Um, but was that transition from, like you said, focusing more on, on work and life outside of the sport, was that a hard transition for you? Or, or with, with age came wisdom and perspective that made it pretty, pretty smooth sailing through that kind of period of time? I'm not sure how much wisdom came with it, but I but perspective did come in, into play. Um, yeah, and I can, like I said, I continued to run. And the, the, the great thing about our sport, Denny, is that we, um, we're a social sport. Um, you know, you, you have the book, The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, but that book is more about the internal struggle that a runner, um, 
has to uh, face when they're when they're training. Um, we actually have lots of runners that run our paces. So I stayed in the sport um, and and ran with the people that I could run with. It just wasn't going to be the top 10 anymore. Right. It was going to be the top 50 or the top 100 and um, and just enjoy the sport, enjoy the people, um, help uh, other runners. And I, I did more and more coaching as time went along and um, and helping people get to to levels that they really wanted to be. And that part was really cool, and I enjoyed it so very much. Yeah, and that's and that's um, certainly something that again you can continue to do no matter no, you know as long as as long as you still have the interest and in, in the desire, you have that little bit of a burning passion. It obviously keeps you connected to the to the sport, and can depending on, on who you're working with can keep you con- connected to pretty high levels of of the sport as well. Um, you, you mentioned as well kind of the, the social aspect and. Uh, I, again, I know that's something that that you, you kind of worked to put together the Charleston Running Club and started to you know kind of put together um, a little race that has become not just a little race anymore, but one of the biggest 10Ks um, not only in in the U.S. but in in the world. Um, again, you know, for for a lot of us that have come to running in the last 10, 15 years, something like that, that that kind of know running pretty much only as it kind of looks today. Um, and maybe can't even think about a time when a, a major, a pretty major city like a Charleston wouldn't have some type of, of a running club. Um, what, what was it like kind of, you know, I don't know if what was it like is the right question, but, but was it difficult to bring a community of runners together to, to form a running club or, or, you know, something like I said, that a lot of us take for granted these days um, that didn't exist at, at a certain time. What, what, you know, when, when you started bringing that group together, um, I mean, I'm assuming it had to be pretty rewarding to to get to see some other people and and continue to foster that that sense of community and that social dynamic that is very present within our sport. You know, it, it was amazing, really. Um, I had a training partner who was at a, at about my level, and he and I were um, doing a training run one day, and I said, "I'm thinking about uh, starting a running club here in Charleston." And he said, well, you're going to have to do it alone because I'm not going to help. He said, I he said, I tried to start a soccer club and it failed and and I'm not interested in starting one. And I said, well, I'm going to do it. And so um, I was working at the Medical University of South Carolina. And that's not only a a hospital, but it's a teaching university. It is um, a, a health and wellness facility. And so I, I just put up um, little poster boards and notices saying we're going to have our first meeting of the Charleston Running Club um, at the Charleston County Library, and they gave us a room to use. Eleven people showed up for the very first meeting, and, by, and that was in uh, late January of 1977 by, um, gosh, by about November – of that same year, we had 464 members. Wow. So it, uh, there were a lot more people out there interested, interested in the sport than we actually knew. Yeah, it's, it's, wow. I mean, that kind of growth in not very much time, uh, is, is pretty incredible. Um, and like you said, you, you didn't realize there were that many people in the area that, that might be interested. Um, but then when you, when you have a group 
it starts to to bring people maybe a little bit out of the woodwork. Um, what I'm going to assume, and you know, kind of you know what happens when you start making assumptions, but I'm assuming that of those 400 plus people, there was all levels of of runners that were represented, or were, or am I am I off base? And, and at that point, were they all mostly kind of grouped together as far as ability level, paces, distances, things like that? Oh, there were all levels, all ages, uh, genders. I mean, um, we had folks that were all the way up to people in their, believe it or not, in their early 70s that wanted to become members of the running club. And they had been running, um, and they thought they were the only ones out there running. And, of course, my partner and I, uh, you know, we would be running um, out on the causeway towards Sullivan's Island, uh, a barrier island off of Charleston. And we had uh, measured distances and, and um, you know, some of those miles would go down to 450, 445 a mile. And, um, and people would, would slow down and stare and look at us. <laughs> and they're looking at us because we're oddballs. But um, we didn't realize that a lot of those folks were, were going, hey, there's some other runners around. Maybe we should try to hook up. And so we, you know, this gave us a, a, a means of, of a way to hook up. Yeah. And then it, it, you know, it can clearly took on a kind of a life of its own where, you know, you get, you get 11 people on the first meeting and those 11 people tell, you know, one or two people a, a piece. And pretty soon it, it just starts to, to grow. And it's like, Hey, I didn't, you know, you're talking, you know, the one person from the 11 is talking to their running partner going, I didn't realize that there's, you know, there's, there's at least 10 others of us here. So let's, let's come in and we'll, we'll have a group of 12. And then pretty soon group of 12 turns into to 400 plus and, and just kind of keeps on going and growing from there. Um, were there ever any um, issues, struggles as far as as building and maintaining a, a running club? It's, it's you know I'm a member of our local running club and maybe not as active of a member as as I should be, um, but I I certainly don't know all of the logistics and we've got a, a, a I don't know what the numbers are but it's it's a big group here as well which is which is fantastic, um, but from being you know being on the inside of it and being there from from the ground floor. Um, and, and dealing with that many different people and personalities and, and things like that. Um, is it been mostly smooth sailing or have there been some, some rough patches in the life of the, the running club from your perspective? Um, there were some rough patches, but um, the first three years I was the president of the club. And um, uh, I guess um, uh, this is uh, kind of harsh to say, but I, I was sort of the king of the running club. And I said, Okay, this is what we're going to do, and um, and people um, followed along not because they were intimidated, but they followed along because they wanted some direction, mm-hmm. and uh, so we we tried to form group runs and we uh, we formed local races, and that alone um, fostered a great deal of camaraderie. And so um, I think that was responsible in large part for its growth. Now, after about um, eight years, um, I just I dropped the running club because I had other things to do and um, and then rejoined the running club later on. And it had changed somewhat. It had changed a little bit. It it um, it had gone into more of a um, a political um not in not politics, but uh, uh, there were more um, 
politics in the in the club right. itself. Um, you know, you had people who uh, this person wanted to do this, this person wanted to do that, and there were there was a little bit of contention in 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 the club, and and um, someone pointed it out to me, and um, I said, I think I'm going to join again and, and see if we can bring everyone back together a bit, and um, and I have to say that that the leaders of the club now are really good folks. Um, it's a strong club. It um, it has regular group runs. It has uh, regular training sessions. They have speakers, um, and um, and it's it's cooking along just like it always has. And it is a co-sponsor of the Cooper River Bridge Run that you mentioned, uh, which is the third largest 10K in America and the fifth largest in the world. Yeah, which is a great transition into into that that race, the Cooper River Bridge Run. Um, when I think of of big races, you know, obviously there's 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 always those handful of of races that get a lot of the the publicity. I, I don't know that I'd really ever heard much of of uh, of this particular race, um, but to be the third largest 10k in in the U.S., fifth largest in the world, um, all I can think about when I when I hear that is. <laughs> and this is going to sound bad, but all I can think about is logistical nightmare. If you have that many people in a race distance that's quote unquote only 6.2 miles, it's not like you have 26 miles or even 13 miles to kind of spread things out and get people going through the, through the course and, and have it kind of, you know, some, some type of, I mean, you still have to have some type of structure as far as, you know, corrals or how, how you start the race. But, um, I feel like that's just gotta be just jam packed from, from start to finish line. Um, pretty much the, I mean, without, without, uh, exception, is that somewhat accurate or am I painting with a, a brush? That's not, uh, that's not correct. I think you're, I think you're correct. <laughs> but the good news is, is that, um, this run was embraced by the leaders of the two towns that it goes through. Mm. The bridge connects two towns. It connects Charleston, South Carolina with Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, which is a bedroom community town mm. um, uh, out near the ocean. And so um, we do corral the runners. And our finishing spot, we have had to limit the race to uh, 40,000 runners um, because um, we do just don't have a place to really finish them uh, that is secure. Mm -hmm. You know, nowadays we have the unfortunate situation of uh, security that has to be extremely high. Uh, we have about 2,300 um, security personnel. We have about 3,000 volunteers uh, that actually help to put the race on and, and, um, and make sure things uh, tick off the way they're supposed to. And um, the the mayors of both towns have been extremely supportive, um, uh, and we we made the the right choice of hiring a uh, at that time a young man named Julian Smith um, in 1993 as the race director, and Julian uh, was already the um, uh, the uh, head of the um, fitness center for the Medical University of South Carolina. So he had experience in this. And he's also a 
he was a master marketer. Um, this was a guy who could, who could just charm anybody. And he, um, he, uh, always had a, a smooth, even temperament. Um, he didn't yell at people. He didn't scream at people. He, uh, sought to solve problems. Uh, Julian, unfortunately, this past year died mm. three weeks before the race of glioblastoma. Mm. And um, my book, as uh, you probably know, um, has 5% of its entire um, uh, income going to the Medical University's glioblastoma foundation. Wow, wow. Um, yeah, it's it's obviously grown and, and uh, it's, it's quite quite the event. Um, when just for people that are listening that are kind of like me that maybe have never heard of this race before, but are like, hey, you know, Charleston's not a bad place to visit, and if I can go run a, a, a big old race, maybe I'd, I'd time that in there as well. What kind of time frame of the year are we looking at? Is it a spring race, summer race, fall race? When, when is uh, when is the time if you're if you're interested in, in running the Cooper River Bridge Run? It's usually the first Saturday in April this okay. this coming year, uh, 2020. It will be April the fourth. Okay. And uh, and there are folks that that plan their entire year's vacation around this race because Charleston offers an incredible array of things to do. Mm -hmm. It's historic. Um, it has the beach. It has fabulous restaurants, some of the best restaurants in the world. Um, there are so many things to do, uh, so many sites to see that people uh, plan their, their whole vacation being here. Right, right. And uh, you mentioned that you cap it out at forty thousand. Does it does it uh, sell out quick? Does it sell out every year? I mean, like again, if somebody's listening to this, going, "Hey, that's not a not a bad idea for for next spring or or you know spring of twenty twenty one." Kind of putting some longer range plans in there. Um, how how early do people need to get on signing up for it and making their their plans and and uh, kind of solidifying things? Or uh, can can you kind of get into it sort of last minute and still be okay? I'm assuming that's probably not the case. But let, let's hear from the the guy who actually knows instead of the guy who's making the assumptions. Yeah, uh, well, here's what I recommend to people. If you even think you're going to run it, go online to cooperriverbridge.com and sign up. Um, if you, um, if you uh, find that you are going to be in shape and available to come to Charleston and run it um, a, late, a little later on, you can probably still get in with about a week to go. Okay. Um, uh, we get to about 35 to 38 and then there's still some spots open and we also leave some spots open for, um, um, I, I don't know if you knew this, but 10 years ago I lost my left leg in a freak accident and, um, the bridge run was kind enough to create something called the Terry Hamlin mobility impaired division. So we have a wheelchair division, we have a mobility impaired division, and we, um, you know, we we try to um, encompass a lot of a lot of things there, and, and invite and and have as many people who want to be uh, participating to come and participate. Mm, that's that's fantastic, and and yeah, I know you had mentioned 
that and, and uh, about losing the leg. And um, it was kind of one of those things. I wasn't sure whether we'd get to it or not. But since, since you brought it up, we'll, we'll spend at least a few minutes here because it's, it's, again, probably something we could unpack a whole lot more. But, uh, you know, at some point, we're going to have to wrap this thing up at, at some point today. But um, being a runner, being somebody who's been running for the majority of your life when, you know, when, when this accident happened and, and you, you lost your leg. And I know that you, you said in, in the emails when you had mentioned this as well, that you, you do still run. Um, but, but when that accident happened and, you, oh man, like I don't have a leg anymore. How, obviously it's difficult just from a injury standpoint, the trauma, all that kind of stuff. Um, but add on top of that, the identity that you have, the passion that you have for, for running, um, was was there ever a doubt that you would come back and and figure out how to run after the the accident or was it was it something where it was really kind of I don't know if I'm going to be able to run anymore never never in fact I I um um my prosthetics uh expert will tell you that the very first thing I asked for was a running blade huh. I didn't ask for a walking uh, <laughs> running blade I knew that I was going to come back and run, and I was back in the very next bridge run. Wow, wow. What, and again, I mean, this this is just scratching the surface, but but I have to ask: Was it difficult? To, I mean, was it was it in my head? So, so we'll back up for a second. In my head, I feel like if something like that happens, you kind of have to relearn to walk, we learn relearn to run, relearn to do all of those types of things where you're on your feet. Um, from scratch was it was it like that or was it was it fairly i mean obviously it's different but was it fairly similar or, or what like how much of an adjustment was it how difficult of an maybe not how much how difficult was the adjustment to to not only i'm going to come back and run but by god i'm going to run the race the, the following year uh which you know turns turns it around pretty quickly how, how difficult was that process of learning to run uh without your your leg that you've that you'd known for the entire of your entirety of your life to that point well, you know, I've never snow skied my entire life. I live in a place that uh, we don't have snow, and when we do, we take pictures of it. <laughs> right. But um, but running on a blade is like uh, a, a snow ski. You can catch an edge, and down you go. So I, I probably fell a hundred times learning to run on it. But after I learned to run on it, you know, I, I really haven't fallen since. Mm. And um, in the race, um, two very large Marines ran on either side of me to keep people off of me because um, um, I'm, I'm blessed to, to be known in the area. And people wanted to pat me on the back as I was running and, and high five me and things like that. But that can be dangerous, uh, especially with 40,000 people around you. So uh, their job was to sort of keep people away from me. And then at the end, then we could have our, our celebration. Right. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a little difficult and it, and it's different. There's no question about it. Uh, but I don't have a problem. I slip it on and take off and I'm gone. Right. Right. What's, uh, what's running like for you today? I mean, obviously running with the the prosthetic, but like, you know, mileage distance, do a lot of racing. What's, what's it look like for you, you know, in, in, in this day and age? I don't race much, um, and uh, I only run maybe 30, 40 miles a week max. Um, most of my time is spent um, coaching, and I'm also a full-time realtor. I have been for 15 years, so I've got a lot of irons in the fire, and I'm an author. Right. So uh, I'm a guy who never slows down. 
Right. Well, yes. And, and, uh, I probably look tired now because I was up till 2 a.m. last night. Oh, yeah. There's, there's always, always something. That is, that is certainly the, uh, the truth. And, and, uh, as promised, I do want to make sure we, we touch on a, and do a little bit more than just touch on, on the book. Um, building a better runner science based training for peak performance, uh, is, is the book recently released, uh, within, as we're recording this, I think about a week or so ago, week or week or less, or maybe just a touch more, whatever, seven, seven, eight, nine days, something like that. Um, okay. So September the third is the, is the official release date. Um, and we're talking on September the 11th. So just eight days ago, um, what was the, the impetus for the book? Like you said, I mean, you, you got no shortage of things going on, no shortage of things to do. Um, and as anybody who's written a book before knows, um, and maybe you don't know it until you do the first one. I don't know. I don't think I knew it until I wrote the first one. Um, that it is a process. It is, it is not just as easy as you might think it would be to just sit down and, and write a book. So uh, what, was, what was the impetus of going, hey, I've got, I've got all these other things going on, but let me, let me add writing a book to the, uh, to the mix as well. Exactly. Um, it took me 11 months. I rewrote it three, t- three separate times um, because there was a lot of biochemistry in the book, but I had to turn that into biochemistry that could be understood by the layperson. Right. Um, because biochemistry is really uh, what runners need to understand if they're going to properly train. They, under- they need to understand um, how the cells change in the muscles. Um, in order to become a good runner. And um, I, I have uh, programs in there. I follow a lot of the Lydiard system, which has been around for decades. Right. And, um, and uh, I did something that uh, my publisher thought I was insane to do. I actually put my, my coaching email at the back of the book. <laughs> and so people could actually email me mm-hmm. and say, um, what do I do about this? And, uh, and, and I answer every single one. Well, that'll keep you up till two o'clock in the morning, uh, <laughs> right there. Uh, but, but it's a great way to obviously connect with people. And obviously, I mean, you know, the, the coach inside of you is, is, you know, that's, that's a chance for it to get out and to help out and to, to continue to pay it forward. Um, 11 months to write the book. That's, that's maybe not as, as long as, uh, as, as it's taken, uh, me on a, on the first occasion and probably not as long as it's gonna take me on the, on the second book that's, that's in the works right now. But, um, pretty, I mean, it sounds like it's pretty smooth sailing, although I know that there's a lot more to it than that. Um, but like you said, getting into the science of, of things, which I think is, is important. And, and also, like you said, which I also agree is very important is writing a book with accurate science, but that is still understandable by somebody who, who hasn't been studying biochemistry, physiology, can you, whatever, insert ology here, hasn't been studying that for, for years, making it digestible, making it something that's, that's um, not only understandable, but then also applicable, which is a, a big part of it as well. Um, was that, I mean, I know you said you wrote it three times to, to try to help to do that, but, but was it difficult to, to, to translate the, the knowledge and the science into something that that has so far has gotten pretty good reviews from what I can tell and, and uh, is, is a book that can really help, you know, the, the non-scientist runner out there to understand what's going on in his or her body to help them improve their performance? Um, it, it was, um, and that's, of course, why I had to rewrite it three mm-hmm. times because I, um, my wife is a voracious reader, but she is not a runner. And I, I said, if she can read it, then the populace can read it. Right. And so that's, that was sort of my gauge. And, um, you know, that, that's what helped. 
So you, you mentioned there, you know, as, as you were getting uh, the book to the point where your wife could read it and understand it without being an exercise physiologist, without being a runner herself, you, you kind of know that you're getting the verbiage right, the science right to where it's probably under being able to be understood by uh, certainly by runners that don't have the science background, but know the, the side of, of the sport of running. Um, but you also mentioned in there that a lot of the principles follow kind of the, the teachings and, and the, the um, training style of Arthur Lydiard, um, which is something that, that I wasn't aware of until just a handful of years ago. And it really kind of changed my my way of training, how I looked at, at the sport and kind of have, have uh, shaped a lot of, of the, the training styles that I talk about or the philosophies that I talk about. Uh, but for those that aren't familiar with, with Lydiard's style of training and what that, what that means, um, could you kind of explain that a little bit to try to help people maybe understand um, what some of the, the big science foundation is of, of the book that you wrote? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, the way uh, a, a distance runner should look at it at, at goal races is this. If you have a goal race, say say you want to run the Boston Marathon, and uh, the Boston Marathon is a year away, how do you start training for that uh, to assure that you're going to be in the best shape you can possibly be in and be ready for that race? The Lydiard system and my system as well, because actually I've I've fiddled with the, with the system and I've added new new chemistry, new science that we have available to us today to uh, bring the book to where it is now. Um, we start with a base uh, training uh, set of months, uh, building mileage. And I have, uh, typically I'll have my runners, if they're gonna run a marathon, build their mileage uh, up to about 70 to 80 miles per week um, with a long run um, a tempo run and a fartlek run in, in that week. And that's going to continue uh, for 12 to 16 weeks. Uh, then I put them into what's called the resistance phase. And that is exactly what it says. Mm -hmm. it's, it's resistance against gravity. That would be running up hills. It would be uh, running on a treadmill at an incline mm -hmm. um, and doing repeats on that. Uh, twice a week while still maintaining that that uh, 70 to 80 mile week. Um, we would um, we, many times we'll take out the tempo if necessary uh, in order to assure a good recovery. After about eight weeks in the resistance phase, I uh, move the athlete into the speed work phase. And in that phase, we do add the tempo back in but at a much faster pace, it'll be the tempo run will be uh, in the middle of a, a 12 to 15 mile run. And it'll be six to eight miles mm. at race pace or below race pace, faster than race pace. And um, we also add uh, one day on the track for the first three weeks and then two times on the track for the second two weeks. So you've got a tempo run two times on the track and a long run. Wow. So you've got four separate what we call efforts mm -hmm. in there. And then if we add in the total mileage, that counts as an effort as well. And um, as the runner progresses through those, I take the, the time on the track and we start with repeat miles 
and we gradually work our way down to uh, 800 meter repeats and 600 meter repeats. And if somebody uh, wants to run a couple of 10Ks in there, I even throw in 400 repeats to uh, really build the leg speed mm -hmm. because there are two types of fast twitch fiber which control that. There's uh, type 1A and type 2A. Right. Um, and so we want to make sure that we, we uh, actually train both of those systems. We train the aerobic system. We train the VO2 max to go up higher. Um, the circulatory system is improved and leg turnover and speed is improved. A couple of things in, in, in that, but I think maybe the, the first one that I, I want to stress uh, or, or uh, clarify and allow you to maybe stress um, that each of these phases is important and, and certainly and is helpful to improve the fitness and, and to get you to, to your race goal. But the, the key word there, in my mind at least, is phase. It's not like you're in that resistance phase for a year or indefinitely. Um, there is that, that base building phase where almost all of the training is at a pretty easy intensity with, you know, adding a fartlek run or a tempo run, but for the most part, you know, not, not killing it that at that point, if I'm, if I'm understanding you correctly. Um, and there's still lots of, of those base building easy miles built in. But I think that, that something that I feel like I see where, where maybe I think people get it wrong. Um, and again, this is where maybe you can clarify or, or, or tell me that I'm on the right track as well, is that when we, when we get into some of these higher intensity phases, we just kind of extend that phase for longer than our body can handle it. And that's when we start to break down. Is that making sense? And is that something that you've maybe seen as, as well and something that people need to try to tap the brakes on? You're doing this phase for a short period of time for a purpose, but it's not an indefinite type of thing. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I absolutely um, uh, not just warn people, but I encourage people to, to run at the the pace um, on a hill that that is comfortable for them. They don't have to run hard up the hill. Mm -hmm. They can just just running up the 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 fact they're running up the hill um, starts to work on different muscle systems. Um, a distance runner typically trains the anterior uh, set of muscles: the hamstrings, the gastrocnemius or calf, the soleus, the glutes and the lower back. Uh, running up a hill, on the other hand, uh, starts to train the quadriceps, mm -hmm. and that keeps muscle balance um, very even, and that's important to keep a runner, um, A, uninjured, right. and B, uh, more fit for a race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have these runners go through these phases, and the phases don't just – um, the distance phase doesn't just stop one day and you go into the resistance phase. They merge into each other. Mm -hmm. They overlap. And, and so I gradually pull them into these phases where um, it's nearly seamless. Right. right. And, that's, and that's, that's exactly what I was, was assuming was going to be the case and wanted to make sure we're, we're clarifying that, you know, it's, it's not a black and white start and stop. You go from, from you know, from here and, and everything is now it's done because we're in the next phase. It all, it all blends together. It all, it all works together. And, and like you said, seamless, if, if it's, if you're doing it right, it should be fairly seamless flowing in and out of these different segments or the, the buildups leading up to your race. Correct. 
Absolutely correct. What about um, strength training? Are, are you? Uh, I know that uh, that's something that can be a bit of a hot button topic. It's something that you know. I think that for me personally, as as a coach, and my understanding, like I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you, Terry, but I'm a I'm a uh, athletic trainer by trade, of you know, masters in exercise science. So I've I've I understand a lot of the science and stuff as as well. And and my take on it is that strength training is absolutely an important component. It's not maybe the the entire certainly not the entire focus. Certainly not you know as a runner we're lifting differently than a football player who's lifting differently than a bodybuilder. You know it's not one size fits all across those those fronts. But I feel like strength training is a is a valuable component. Injury prevention, you talked about muscle balance, making sure that we're getting the opposing muscle groups so that one side doesn't get uh, dominant over the other. Um, where do you take and, and, and where is, is your thought on strength training for the endurance athlete uh, as well? I believe it's absolutely necessary. Um, and I, I, I emphasize core training, mm-hmm. um, keeping the abdominals uh, particularly nice and, and, and strong. So, and that prevents what we call sway back in runners, where they, the anterior or lower back muscles become too tight in the runner and get sort of a sway back look mm-hmm. to them. And I also encourage my runners to use um, either free weights or machines to um, strengthen their shoulders, um, their biceps, um, and uh, that helps the the uh, the arm swing movement, mm-hmm. and it also uh, it you know more strength, better runner, more strength, better runner, not more bulk, right. more strength. Right. Um, yes, I I, I I I love that, and and I I feel like um, what often gets lost, and, and I'm probably guilty of this too when I talk about strength training is it's so much as the focus is lower body and core, but I'm glad that you mentioned the shoulders, the arms. Um, because it is important. It is, you know, you're swinging your arms, you know, however many steps you take in, in the race of your, of your choice, your arms are swinging just as many times, you know, and, and obviously for, for helping to maintain form as well, having some, some upper body strength and and endurance in the muscles in your upper back is, is pretty important. And yeah, if we get so laser focused on, I got to do some squats and some, some planks and some core work, um, those are good and things that we should be doing. But don't forget to do a little bit of upper body stuff as well, because it's it's that can that can come back and cost you if you if you neglect that area of your fitness as well. Absolutely, you know, um, you're right. Uh, your your legs can only move as fast as your arms can swing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a scientific fact. Um, and if you're going to run a marathon, you're going to want arms that um, are able to uh, convert that ATP to ADP. Um, over and over and over for 26 miles so that you're able to continue that race um, at a good pace and and not start to fall apart uh, when you start to convert um, more uh, using glycogen, more mm. to using fatty acids for your, your fuel. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, I've talked about this a, f- a few times, but everything's so connected. And, and I think we get uh, and I'm, again, I'm guilty of this as, as much as anybody of sometimes getting that that tunnel vision, that laser focus on on, you know, the trouble spot or on the area that I need to improve or, or whatever it is. And it's easy to lose sight that that our bodies are an ecosystem, not a bunch of of different parts, but it all it all functions together, uh, mental, physical, everything. And so um, remembering to train all the different systems, remembering to, to take care of um, 
the parts of our body that we don't think of as running essential, um, it, uh, it makes a difference. There's no question about it. You know, Denny, I, I like to say that, and, and, and I am guilty as well of this, that um, it's ironic that runners have no problem going out and running 10 miles, yet they are the laziest people on earth when it comes to um, exercising the other four parts of their body. Mm-hmm. And so um, they don't want to do their crunches. They don't want to do their arm weights. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. They want to just run, and somehow that's going to make them fit. Um Fit and healthy are two different things. Right. And so they may be fit for a race, but they may not be healthy for a race. And um, it's your job and my job to help people understand that and get to that that higher quality of life and higher quality of of the sport by exercising all parts of the body. Yes, absolutely. And and if people are looking for a place to start. We got it. We got a book right here. Building a better runner is a great place to, to get started. Um, so, so guys, you can check that out wherever, wherever books are sold. And again, we'll have the link in the show notes. So Terry, one last question and we'll, we'll get you out the door here, but, um, I like to, to close these conversations with something that I call uh, a philosophical question, which kind of sometimes sounds a little scary, but it's basically kind of like the introductory question, something fairly open-ended, um, pretty, pretty straightforward. And you can just kind of take it whichever way that, uh, that, that you want to go with it. Um, but, but I'd just be curious, you know, at, at this point in your life, um, you know, running for, for running at a pretty high level for, for many, many years, continuing to run, obviously the, the injury coming back from that, continuing to run, writing the book, coaching all of, all of the, the things that, that running is in your life these days. Um, why, why do you keep, why do you keep at it? Why do you keep, you know, putting, putting the prosthetic on, putting the blade on and getting out the door for your, for your miles most days. Um, you know, why do you keep working with the, 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 just keep it, just keep it simple. Why do, why do you, why is running still such an important part of your life at, at this point, uh, in, in where you are? I think running feeds my soul and, and, it, uh, helps to keep my sanity quite frankly, because, you know, it produces endorphins it um, it's something that, you know, we all it's like breathing to me at this point. It's something I've done for so long that I can't imagine not doing it. Mm. Um, it, um, you know, they, you know, I uh, when I got my my running blade, um, I had been on my back and unable to run for nearly 11 months. Wow. And I, um, I put on my blade uh, the morning of the bridge run after um, only having it for three months. And my wife said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to run the Cooper River Bridge Run. And she said, have you lost your mind? Um, uh, she said, uh, you haven't trained for almost a year. How are you going to do this? And I said, I said, hon, I can run 10,000 meters in my sleep. I said, after after uh, 40 years of running, um, I can do it. I said, and I promise you, I can do it. Um, little did I know that she was she was actually um, in on a little secret. Um, uh, a bunch of um, friends and runners, hundreds actually, had had signs and T-shirts made 
that only had one shoe on the on the back of the shoe and it said run terry run and they all wore the shirts um to the race and they uh had signs made saying run terry run um and so um she was sort of messing with me and um so she was there as well and um uh, it was a very emotional finish to say the least that that um uh folks hadn't forgotten about me um and um and that it actually wasn't about me it was about um when people want to do something i encourage them to do it mm. as long as they as they have a passion for something follow that passion mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't say it any better. So I'm not even going to try. Um, guys, once again, if you want to connect with Terry on the Instagram, it's at Terry coach Hamlin on Twitter at Terry coach ham L one, all, all kind of come jumbled together. No underscores, no spaces, nothing like that. Terry coach Hamlin on Instagram, Terry coach ham L one on Twitter. Dizruns.com slash seven, eight, two is a link back to the show notes. We'll have those, those handles there as well as a link to the book. If you want to get that, uh, building a better runner, science-based training for peak performance. Uh, you want to understand the science. And I think, you know, you've heard me talk about the science before. I think that's the, one of the most important things that you can kind of understand. And then uh, you kind of can build from there. So get get the book, uh, check it out, Building a Better Runner. Uh, Terry, thank you for uh, for taking the time this morning. Um, congratulations on getting the book out there. Congratulations on just a, a heck of a running career. Uh, you know, and just a, the way running has, has been a part of your life for so long. Um, and certainly wish many more years of, of great running, uh, many more years of, of just being in and around the sport. Um, and, uh, hopefully, like I said, in the intro, maybe there's something we can, we can saddle up and do again at some point. Cause I know there's a whole lot of surface scratching that we did today without going as deep into any one area as maybe we could have. So maybe we can dive in a little deeper at some point, but, uh, thank you for, for the time. And once again, nothing but the best going forward for you, my friend. Thank you, Denny. I really appreciate it. And uh, anytime, I'd be happy to, to be on your show. And um, uh, this is this is great. Yeah, you do a great service here for folks. All right, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the show. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation between Terry and myself. Um, I hope that you really enjoyed it because I have a feeling that there will be a round two, maybe a round three. There will be a round two at some point. Don't know exactly when, but uh, I hope you enjoyed this one enough to listen to another one because I enjoyed being on my end of the conversation enough to wish to be on the end of another one. But let's let's put in the cart in front of the horse. As you know, you know where I'm going to go with this. If you've been listening to the show for very long at all, you know that I want to know what stood out to you from this episode. What was something that uh, that Terry and I talked about today that really resonated with you or made you think or made you reassess um, you know, your, your perspective or the way that you look at the, at, at running or, or whatever, what was your takeaway from today's episode? Uh, for me, it was something that we really didn't talk about as much as I probably thought we were going to, but we did touch on it a little bit. Terry brought it up about, you know, how he lost his left leg in an accident. And obviously as somebody who at that time was, was a pretty, still is a pretty good runner, uh, but was, was much better runner then than I certainly am at the, at this point. Um, he loses his leg. And I, I know for myself, if I'm in that situation, um, it's going to be a pity party. You know, if, if I all of a sudden go dark and, and there's nothing, n- nothing coming out of, of, uh, of the hopper, 
um, there's a, there's a decent chance that there was an injury that happened that makes me question whether or not I'll be able to run anymore. And so my takeaway is just how instead of accepting maybe that his running career was over, um, he didn't he didn't throw that that monstrous pity party that I would imagine that I would throw. Um, obviously, you know, and again, we didn't get into the real depth of it, but I'm sure there was some stages of grief and I'm sure there was some, um, you know, it, it wasn't an easy process, but he kept going, figured out how to do the, you know, run with a prosthetic and still is able to run to this day. And to me, that's just that, that reminder that some of the things that we, um, that I, not we, I'm not going to throw y'all under the bus. Some of the things that I think are so important or consequential, or if, if I miss this run, what's going to happen? What happens if I miss a leg? You know, it, it, it is just, it's just one of those instances where a little bit of perspective, I think is, uh, something that I lack at times. And maybe, maybe that is something that, that happens for you as well. I think maybe it's, it's fairly widespread. I, I hope that I'm not well, I hope I am unique in that I'm the only one that ever lacks perspective. But uh, I have a feeling, based on some conversations I've had with other folks over the years, that that's probably not the case. And so, you know, just hearing how Terry has is, is bounced back from it, and obviously the the race has continued to support him and, and allow for folks to, to run the race um, that have some type of, of physical disability or have had an accident that, that prevents, you know, that, that other races maybe would... would snubbed them a little bit. No, no, no. They made a big deal about welcoming him back and welcoming others that are, are running, uh, in a similar situation. I just, it just reminds me that the little, the little niggles, the little, you know, even maybe the more serious injuries, the, the stress fracture or, um, you know, the, the serious case of shin splints or the muscle tear or whatever, like those things suck and they're serious, but at least my leg is still there, you know? So it, you know, it can always be worse, but we can always keep going if we choose to do it, I guess maybe that's, maybe that's ultimately my takeaway. Maybe now I should stop rambling before I, I muddle the point any further. So that's what stood out to me. What about you? What stood out to you from today's episode? Uh, would love to hear your thoughts. would love to hear your feedback. You can, you can leave me a message at Diz runs on Twitter at Diz runs on Instagram, slide into those DMS and let me know what you thought of today's show. Uh, you can also shoot me an email, Diz runs at gmail.com, or you can head to the show notes for today's episode Leave your thoughts, feedbacks, comments, takeaways right there in the show notes where there's also some photos, some links, and all that good stuff as well. Dizruns.com slash 782 for today. Dizruns.com slash 782 will take you back to the show notes for today's episode. Let me know what you thought. Let me know what your takeaway was. And let me know how you like that Dizruns coffee, right? Like get, your, get yourself a cup. Keep yourself running. Keep yourself going. Keep the show going at the same time. It's a beautiful thing. Everybody wins. You get great coffee. Uh, you're supporting a small business, and you're supporting my small business as well. Every Everybody wins. Dizruns.com slash coffee. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed this one. Also, want to put another plug in there for Terry's book. It's a really good book. Uh, I, I, he, was, he was nice enough to send me a copy uh, after we had chatted, and I, whew, it's a good book, y'all. So, so get that. Building a Better Runner. You can find it on Amazon or anywhere where books are readily available get yourself a copy you will not re- well then get yourself a copy read it and then put what you're learning what you read into action because that's that's kind of the name of the game uh, but it's it's a good book well written 
Um, definitely encourage you to check that out. And again, there'll be a link, disruns.com slash 782. So with that, we'll go ahead and put a bow in this one. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it as always. And until next time, be well, take care, and we'll talk soon, all right? See you guys.